Saved me. You redeemed me from the pit. I was in it, guys. I was in that ultimate moment of terror that is the beginning of life. It is nothing. Simple, hideous, nothing. The final truth of all things is that there is no final truth. Truth is what's transitory. If human life, it's human life that is real. I don't want to frighten you, but what I'm trying to tell you is that moment of terror is a real and living horror living and growing within me right now and the only thing that keeps it from devouring me is the pick this podcast that we're making with sean uh, lemmy john otney and colin westman and guys we're going to be talking about genetic memory one last time <laughs> Uh, as we delve into 1980s altered states this week uh, in honor of uh, the dearly departed William Hurt. Um, look forward to trying to unravel this this mystery with you guys. But before we get into it, we've got to do our little picks. And as is custom, <laughs> my cat just jumped in my lap and sneezed in my like the spitting lizard from jurassic park <laughs> um god as is tradition uh i will go first with my little pick uh which was hbo uh max's what i wrote in my notes is batman our flag means death but i believe it's just called <laughs> our flag means death oh sweet crossover dude <laughs> Uh, I don't know what happened there. Um, uh, so Our Flag Means Death is uh, a uh, recently ended 10-episode uh, uh, series. Uh, yet to be renewed for season two, but it's pretty popular. So there'll, pro- there'll probably be one um, that is uh, co-created by uh, and starring uh, Taika Waititi and uh, Reese Darby uh, from uh, the... Uh, Fly the Concords and uh, uh, what we do in the shadows. Um, and there's another creator too who I don't know named David Jenkins, uh, but I'm sure he's good too. Uh, anyway, it's a it's a pirate show, and uh, I went into it expecting you know like uh, what we do in the shadows, but with with pirates, and that was that was wrong. That was that was the wrong expectation for this show. Um, it is, uh, not a, uh, mockumentary. It's a, it's actual drama, uh, and comedy, uh, type show, uh, that, uh, the biggest surprise to me was, is based on real people from real history. I don't know how, uh, how publicized that aspect of this show is. Um, but it's the story of a real life, uh, person named Steve Bonnet, uh, from the early 1700s who... Uh, was a uh, wealthy landowner in England who, on a whim, decided to uh, throw his life away and turn to a life of piracy, um, which was especially a surprising move because he didn't know anything about being a pirate or sailing or anything about this lifestyle he chose. 
Um, so he did some unorthodox things, like having his ship built instead of, you know, stealing one. And paying his crew a salary instead of, you know, plundering. Um, fortunately for him, or maybe unfortunately, depending on how you, uh, you think about it, uh, he ends up uh, getting teamed up with, uh, with Blackbeard, uh, who's, you know, the greatest pirate of all time. Um, and I don't know if this part of it is true, but the, the, uh, the premise of the show is that the two of them uh, form an alliance where uh, Blackbeard, who's kind of experiencing a midlife crisis, is going to learn about uh, aristocratic life from Steed, while uh, Steed learns about how to be a better pirate from Blackbeard. And, um, I mean, with those two uh, extremely New Zealand guys, kind of ultimate Kiwis, uh it's it's a it's a lot of fun to watch um that dynamic develop um and the show also is stacked with a bunch of um interesting uh people in its ensemble and a bunch of fun uh, guest stars too um john i know you're looking forward to seeing more uh rory kinnear who's yes main cast on this or at least a, a major recurring guy um also, Con O'Neill is main cast on this. That guy, uh, he's like the like fill-in commissioner on uh, in a uh, in the Batman. Uh, who's he, he's got a very uh, distinct voice. voice. Yeah. What the hell is going on back here? That guy. <laughs> Best character in the Batman. Uh, and it's got you know a bunch of other people you'd expect to show up as a guest star in a comedy show like Leslie Jones, Fred Armisen, uh, Kristen Shaw, Nick Kroll, Will Arnett, uh, Gary Farmer, that guy from the Jim Jarmusch movies. Um, and I think MVP guest star for oh, me, yeah. uh, Tim Heidecker, uh, who's phenomenal, but he's only, I think he's in like the last episode. So you got to really work to get to him. Uh, but I think it's a very sweet, good, pure, fun show uh so i i'm giving it my recommendation and my little pick awesome definitely gonna watch it got a lot of people i like isn't hodor on this as well hodor is on this does he have say other stuff yeah he's, he talks he has lines oh can he can he act aside from saying hodor yeah he's fine i mean they don't give him a ton okay Good now. Uh, yeah, isn't it like the most like popular show on HBO Max like in a long time or something? I saw some they, statistic. They say that, that like, but this is really popular. Also, they were like Euphoria is more popular than anything we've ever put out. Mm. So maybe they're just Are, saying that now. They're pulling a Netflix, or they're like, "Oh yeah, this was streamed by eight billion people. It's the most watched <laughs> thing in history. Nearly everyone on the planet." <laughs> and, you're like, and you're like, "Wow, really?" It's like, okay, man, I guess I better watch that, see what everybody's talking about. Yeah. I mean, this is no Is It Cake or whatever that show is called. I'm, I don't know what that is. Oh, that that is the most popular show on Netflix right now. Is it cake? Yeah, it's a it's people are confronted with things and they have to identify which ones of them are cake. This is a, a, a show? It's an extreme <laughs> it's the number one show on Netflix. 
This is like 30 minutes of Is This Cake? I assume they're half hour. I can't imagine they're longer than a half hour. Wow. Is This Cake. Seems like that kind of run out of steam pretty quick, but I mean, what do I know? Apparently it's the most watched thing in history. Alright, well, I guess I'll check that out, too. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, double little pick for me this week. Double little pick. (laughs) Is it cake? Um, okay, I'll go with, I, uh, rented Studio 666, uh, of course, to pay tribute to the late Taylor Hawkins. Very sad, but listen to a lot of Foo Fighters lately. If you don't know what this is, this is the Foo Fighters narrative horror film that they made. Um, and I was a little afraid of watching this because I'm like, am I going to go super easy on it because of what happened to Taylor Hawkins and, and not really judge it for what it is? But I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a big horror guy. So if it's a, you know, even semi-competent horror film, I'll, uh, I'll be on board. And I was on board, actually. This, this is a real movie. This isn't like an extended <laughs> music video or a gag or something. This is... Dave Grohl apparently had an idea for a movie and they made it and it's fun. It's the the band playing themselves uh going to a uh an old house to looking for inspiration to record a new album and um while they're there Dave Grohl finds like some old metal recording and becomes super inspired and then starts trying to write this epic metal song and what's a great joke throughout the movie is He's never working on like a whole album's worth of songs. They're always just practicing one song that gets longer and longer because <laughs> they don't know how to end it. It's like 40 minutes at this like this metal song they keep doing. And I think that's part of the strength of this movie is just all the insight into what it's like playing in a band. Like little things. Like there's a part where Dave Grohl has a guy like tightening his snare drum. He's like, little looser, little tighter, little looser, and it just goes on and on and on. Stuff like that. Or when he first discovers the evil metal recording, and he's showing it to the guys, he's like, it's in the key of L, (laughs) and they're like trying to like figure out what that is. He's like, no, no, you're way off. No, no, and now you're close. Now you're close. That sounds kind of like it. (laughs) So that stuff's fun. And then the horror part of it is is fairly competent too. The movie is shot pretty well. It's uh, BJ is it McDonald McConnell? He he made Hatchet Three. He's a real horror director, so they got him on board. And the movie looks good. The gore effects are really good. They got Tony Gardner who did the makeup to um, to Dark Man, and. Uh, so in the movie, Dave Grohl kind of becomes he becomes possessed and uh, eventually starts like killing the other members of the band. And that's not much of a spoiler. It's in the trailer. But one kill in, in particular was uh, pretty amazing. It's um so the Foo Fighters keyboard player Ramy Jaffe is uh, uh, making love to Whitney <laughs> Cummings, who plays their neighbor. And he's like, "Wait, first I got to get in the mood." And he puts on that hair metal song with the chainsaw solo you know what i'm talking about calling that famous yeah. song that lumberjack I mean, yeah, song. I, know. I don't know the name of the song but yes, yeah yeah and then it's a it's a famous metal song that has a chainsaw solo in the middle and so they're they're making love during the chainsaw solo and then it cuts to dave Grohl is under the bed with a chainsaw and then he <laughs> pushes it through the bed and chops them both in half like all the way through like hot dog style 
So it's like the gore, they went all out. Really elaborate, like, gore and, like, prosthetics and uh, makeup. Um, but my number one concern going into this movie was, can the Foo Fighters themselves act? And, like, can they make it through a whole movie and it not be, like, weird or awkward? And I think the answer to that is, yes, they, they can do it. Especially Dave. He actually, Dave was actually pretty good, I think, throughout the whole movie. Like, I doubted him because I hadn't really seen him act much, uh, I guess, aside from this, except for, like, I guess the end of Pick of Destiny. When he's but yeah he's, he's he's doing a good job he does a good great job being a frustrated artist like there's parts where he's on youtube watching like clips on how to like get inspired to write songs because he's got writer's block early on and that's fun and most of the guys find a shtick i was worried that the rest of the foo fires would blur together but they 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 each have a, a gimmick like um Rami Joffe's thing is like that he's like all hippy dippy kind of like an idiot which is fun um or Taylor Hawkins is like cynical eye rolling swears a lot it's fun um Chris Shiflet and what's Nate Mendel don't have as much but they're they still get some gags here and there uh but my favorite is Pat Smear who has big goofy uncle energy uh, in all the night scenes, he's always wearing a nightcap like Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> and walking around eating chips while wearing a robe. And, like, the mansion they rent doesn't have enough rooms, so he sleeps in the kitchen. And it was at that part of the movie that I realized, wait, this isn't a hard day's night. This is help. This is, like, this, this is like the monkeys. This is, like, silly for kids almost, except with, like, extreme violence. <laughs> This is like a dumb, silly movie. Yeah. So that was fun. Really, the only thing hurting the movie is that it's a little too long. It's almost... Oh, it might even be over two hours, or it's almost two hours. It, it's, it's, it, it could have been about 20 minutes shorter. Uh, but otherwise, I had a good time. It was a fun horror movie. This would be a good one to put on during Halloween. And it's just such a bummer that... You know, we're not going to get to see these guys all hanging out and goofing off again. Because, um, you know, they have great chemistry with each other. They clearly, you know, enjoy each other's company. So it's it's sad. But, you know, at least they got to make this goofy movie. Um, so what do you, yeah, I would definitely check it out. What do you think? Are they going to retire the Foo Fighters? Or will they continue on without Taylor? I think they will continue on... Uh, but not for a while. And it's going to take a long time before they're doing stuff again. But I think I think they will. I don't know. That's that's a tough question. I could definitely see it just because the Foo Fighters is not... It doesn't feel like a band that's tied to any one specific lineup. Like, they've been shuffling in and out <laughs> different members throughout the years and at the same time it always feels like it's dave grohl's project at the end of the day more than like a band composed of of different members he kind of is the band uh but yeah at the same time i mean taylor hawkins is he's he was kind of the second most recognizable of the foo fighters yeah Mm mm-hmm 
Uh, also, I, I feel like that may be the first time we actually reference the Pick of Destiny, <laughs> which provides the theme song to this show. I figure we'll we'll, we'll watch it um, at some point, like hundredth episode or something. Yeah, some some grand occasion. I watched it this year, so <laughs> I'll be ready. I saw it's, it. It's 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 a, it's a fun movie. One time in theaters with you guys. In like what was that like 2006? Yep, that's yep. the only time I saw it. Well, I've seen it like three times, maybe four yeah. times. It's uh, it's good. Um, so my little pick is a movie that has total first quarter of the year energy, mm. <laughs> like very solid little film that people will probably forget about by the end of the year. But uh, it's pretty good. It's called The Outfit. It is a movie starring Mark Rylance as uh, this tailor who owns a little shop in Chicago in the 50s. And the thing about the shop is that gangsters will like come in and exchange money. Uh, like the, It's basically like a place where they can stash money and, and make transactions. And... Mark Rylance is just like, oh, I just try not to pay attention to it. I'm just running my little shop. Doesn't concern me. But then, of course, he gets dragged into this, like, mob turf war that's happening. Um, And it's also very much a uh, (laughs) COVID-conceived movie because it is basically a, a bottle episode. In in the form of a hour and forty minute movie where it just all takes place at his shop, um, and you know because of that it has to <laughs> it has to make the most of its one setting with some some good writing and performances and the script is very good it's very like airtight has lots of twists and turns and reversals. Uh, some of which you can kind of see coming, but it's still like very satisfying by the end of it. It's um, directed by Graham Moore, who wrote the script for The Imitation Game. And this is his first movie he's directing. His name is Grammar? Uh, Graham Moore. Oh. Okay. I guess it is like grammar if you're pronouncing it. Was it was like one name. Kind of weird. Grammar. Grammar. <laughs> if he's like a... It's like a prehistoric of... transformer. Yeah. <laughs> Criticizes the words he used. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, maybe um, just an educational transformer that like turns into a dictionary or something. Yeah. Grammar. Uh, yeah, and also it's just, it's nice to see Mark Rylance, uh, playing an actual interesting character. Uh, yeah, but, but how about the voice? The movie. How about the voice, though, Colin? Is he like, I'm from Chicago, I like it a deep of this pizza. No, the, well, the thing is he's playing an, a British guy who's relocated to Chicago. So he's basically just doing his regular voice, thankfully. <laughs> Uh, some of the other characters are doing that kind of voice, though. Uh, like a pizza. Yeah. 
Uh, that's it. The outfit. Uh, I saw it in theaters, Whoa. which I'm kind of glad that I did because it does. It's got like a ton of little details that I probably would have not been paying as close of attention to if I was yeah. watching it at home on a streaming device because yeah. I'd probably be looking at my phone. Looking at tweets instead of the deep. Sh- should be. Yeah. So I think it is coming out on Peacock soon. I saw like, oh. a Peacock preview when I was watching the Grammys that had the outfit in it. So Weird. Yeah. Guess they gotta have something. Yep. Should we talk Altered states. Let's talk altered states. Um, I couldn't help but think of two other previous picks when we watched this movie. Um, one was Dune, because again, it there's a lot of talk of genetic memory in this, um, which is not something I'd ever heard of until Dune. Um, so maybe Dune just sort of rewired my brain in some way where I can connect everything back. Because um, this this is a movie about someone who is obsessed with going back through his uh, his genealogy. Um, and then the other one was uh, An American Werewolf in London. Because to my great surprise and delight, there's a lengthy scene of a beast running through a city in this. <laughs> And uh, yeah. I like I like seeing that. There's not a ton of uh, of that from this era in cinema. Actually, a lot of good uh, body horror in this movie. Um, but before we get into that, let me tell you a little bit about how Altered States got made. Uh, and that story starts with Patty Chayefsky. Do you guys know who Patty Chayefsky is? Yeah, of course. Okay, you tell me. As a huge, as a huge network fan, yeah. You guys, get, why don't you? And Marty, why don't you guys tell me about him this time? Fill me in, dude. Can you imagine if this happened to Marty? I can't. I don't know anything about Marty except it's Ernest Borgnine. The, Marty was like a was it a play or was it a play written for? like tv it was something weird before it was a movie yeah that's I think right it was like it was written for that playhouse 90 show which i think yeah. is also how 12 angry men came to be <laughs> oh they're gonna say that's how altered states also came to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> it has a lot of costume changes um yeah marty best picture winner it's like what if two like normal looking not super attractive people fell in love one of them being kind of like a schlubby looking dude uh, who lives with his mom, who's Ernest Borgnine. It's real people. I'm not sure. What, is there a, like a thread throughout Patty Chesky's work that you can notice, Colin? Is there like a, th- like, or is he just kind of dipping his toes into all sorts of different concepts and genres and ideas? Mm, it's a little hard for me because I don't. I haven't seen that much of his stuff. The only other movie of his I've seen is The Hospital, which is like George C. Scott as a New York surgeon who's just like super stressed out by his job. I get the vibe that Patty Chesky was like intense. I don't know that for a fact, but he seems like he was really mad a lot. (laughs) I feel like you gotta be to write network. (laughs) Especially um, 
and I'm sure you read up on it, Sean, like kind of the making of this movie where it seems like him and Ken Russell are like two alphas going head to head to head about like what should be in this movie and how it should be done. Yeah, that's my take on it, too. They both kind of describe each other as the asshole. So I assume the truth is in the middle. They were both being assholes. Oh, I, just, you know, the fact that Pachewski wrote the script but then took his name off it, but he's still the only credited writer. It's like, it was, did he take it off because it wasn't like uh, a, that accurate a representation of he wanted, or was he just so pissed off that he's like, fuck this, I hate this guy, I don't want my name on this thing? Um, it's, 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 more, it's closer to the latter from what I read. It's not that they were changed the dialogue, um, mm-hmm. but they were they were like going through it too fast or too intense or like the camera just wasn't on the actors enough. Um, it sounds like uh, Ken Russell's point of view was that like, this is an intense exposition, heavy wordy movie that has these psychedelic sequences in it. And if I don't make the rest of the movie interesting, people are just going to be bored between those crazy sequences. Um, while Patty Chayefsky's point of view was like these conversations are the interesting part of the movie and he cares a lot about them. Um, which I mean, knowing that he has that background in the stage and, and TV and, and more like wordy theatrical storytelling. I'm, it makes sense that this particular experimental style would kind of clash with his taste. Um, but it also sounds like he just wasn't used to being so- told no on uh, on sets. Sounds like yeah, uh, it just makes you think uh, Sidney Lumet must have just been the nicest, most understanding guy <laughs> when he's making network. I mean, he he was so like uh, deferential to Patty Chayefsky that in the credits of Network it says Network a Patty Chayefsky film, which is very strange for a writer to get that credit yeah the full opposite of this one which is uh like, like john <laughs> said is it even in it screenplay by sydney aaron you know, made up guy yeah that's tough because i feel like ken russell is a filmmaker who really likes to put his like signature on stuff he's like i made this this is a ken russell movie because all his movies are super like over the top and elaborate and weird like the devils or Tommy just like he has, he has a very distinct style. Um, so yeah, that must've been weird for Patty Chiesky when it, it sounds like at points. Yeah. Like you're saying, focused more on the dialogue, but I can think of some pretty weird and I don't want to get into it quite yet, but like just ways certain scenes are shot or done where it's like, wow, even this is like over the top and this doesn't need to be, like he's not even tripping balls in this scene and it's over the top and weird. <laughs> a lot of tripping balls in this movie. There's a lot of tripping balls. And that's and that's why I do sympathize with Russell's point of view. I think um, Ken Russell was right that I would have been bored. Specifically me, I would have been bored in between the tripping scenes. Uh, if they wasn't if he wasn't putting in so much work as a director. Which damn it, more directors need to do that. Aren't we all sick of this, the shot, reverse shot conversations? Okay, I gotta bring it up then. My favorite shot of the whole movie, just because it strikes me as weird for, for a scene that doesn't need to be weird. Mm-hmm. 
And it's yeah. it's the scene where we first see William Hurt's character show up at the party where he meets the the woman who will later become his wife. Yeah. Um, where they're all hanging out, and the doors um, light my fire is playing at the party. And it gets to like the bridge section, the da 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 da, and then a door opens, and William Hurt walks through, and there's blinding like white light behind him, like he's just stepped out of heaven. And I'm like, what? What? What is that light? What's going on here? And he just starts walking into the room to the da 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 da, da. and I'm like, wow, this is like super extra for just this shot of him entering the room. And this film does a lot of stuff like that. I, um, when I watched this, I had just watched both West Side Stories. And that shot reminded me of um, the, the, the meeting at the dance scene in, in both the West Side Stories. Those, yeah. bo- both versions of that also do that sort of, like, we're going to totally change the camera and, and make the movie look different for this little part. When you're in the world of love. Um, so that, was, that was cool. That, yeah, that does stick out. Uh, yeah, so the, I mean, those are the two major creators, Ken Russell and, and Patty Chayefsky. Um, both uh, veterans, both uh, are now dead. Uh, Patty Chayefsky, I, I was interested uh, on this part of his Wikipedia page. It's, it said that uh, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he could have had it uh, surgically removed. Uh, but he didn't trust surgeons because he had made the hospital 10 years earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he opted for chemotherapy instead. Damn. Uh, and then I forget how much we talked about um, William Hurt's history. I did want to bring him up again, though, because he is ostensibly why we're here. Yeah. Um, first of all, I was glad this movie does have a nice sweaty sex scene in it. Because it's not a <laughs> William Hurt movie without it to me anymore. No. Um, this this was his uh, his first film role. He had uh, graduated from uh, Juilliard in the seventies and had uh, started his career on the stage. And this was his um, big transition into uh, Hollywood. Uh, not that long after this, he was making Body Heat, which we've uh, we've already talked about. That's nineteen eighty one, and this is nineteen eighty, so it must have been like really close. Um. And and then I was also. Did you guys know he lived in Portland? I was so surprised when I read that he had died. That he had died in his in his home in Portland, Oregon. I was surprised by that too. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. That's cool. Another. Like, I wonder why. Yeah, it's, he's from DC. Seemed like he's a pretty East Coast guy. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Happy to have him. Miss him. Um, another another Marvel character that we're not going to see anymore. Missed out on getting to getting to see the Red Hulk. Uh, oh, and then the last most interesting thing is this movie was released on Christmas Day. What <laughs> the fuck? Can you imagine? <laughs> Shit. Okay. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, studios like to do fucked up shit like that. Wasn't The Exorcist released on Christmas? <laughs> I'm just going to look it up yeah. real quick what else came out on Christmas Day in 1980. I get it. It's like subversive. It's like for the sick, twisted freaks out there who want to jump in the tank. <laughs> and I could go for that. I got like a headache right now. I'm wearing sunglasses. I'm trying to okay. cut out all light. I would definitely go in that tank. You guys, Would you guys go in the tank? In a heartbeat. 
I want to know. Would you take LSD before doing it? No, I don't think so. Um, my thing is, I don't particularly have any interest in uh, expanding my consciousness. It kind of freaks me out. Uh, I, I'm no real interest in mind-altering substances. I don't even particularly like the like really benign stuff, like alcohol and marijuana. Uh, but it, dude, expands your mind. Is it wasn't this based on some actual study or something? I don't I don't know if the actual study um, involved LSD, but definitely some sort of study with like self deprivation tanks. Yeah, there's there's I mean there's all sorts of research into this, um, and a lot of it either comes back pretty boring or delves into the realm of pseudoscience. Um, people talk about you know hallucinations and uh the the altered states of consciousness right the the idea that you're perceiving a reality that's different from the reality we normally experience um and and most of the time science does not actually bear that out as anything interesting other than chemicals in your brain uh which to me is the ultimate terror is the fact that we're all just chemicals and that balance can be thrown off and then we cease to exist uh, I'm going down a rabbit hole I didn't want to go down. <laughs> Let's just you guys remember you, you guys ever play that box office mega game on Twitter? Sure. I'm gonna do that for Christmas Day, 1980. But instead, <laughs> it's just the movies that were released against altered states. There's two movies that also released. Okay. I'm just gonna give you the clues because good lord, one of them stars Gilda Radner and Bob Newhart. I'm not gonna get that. <laughs> yeah, don't don't know that. Next, <laughs> it's it's called First Family. All right. It looks like it's about Richard Nixon, but it's Bob Newhart, and his name is President Manfred Link. And if you guys don't know that one, you're gonna love this one. Okay. Starring Petula Clark. Kathleen Nesbitt and John Castle. The tagline to this movie is finally a film the whole family will enjoy. Uh, second family? <laughs> Good guess. Uh, this is called Never Never Land, a British drama film directed by Paul Annette. That sounds less good than this other one. Yeah. It's a tough, tough Christmas. That Christmas 1980. <laughs> I wonder if the big movie was like the week before that people were seeing. Ooh, Christmas. okay. You've invited me to go back. Oh, there's a bunch of I stuff. I just... Okay. It's hard for me to imagine that those were the movies that people are banking on people to go see on Christmas weekend or break or whatever man you guys are gonna have to tell me how big was neil diamond's the jazz singer <laughs> i mean i've heard of it uh agatha, i know he made a version of the jazz singer uh agatha christie's mirror cracked uh we've got seems like old times a chevy chase movie Oh yeah. Uh, Inside Moves, a Richard Donner film. 
Okay. Uh, that sounds familiar. The Formula with George C. Scott from uh, The Hospital. Uh, the re-release of Aristocrats. Uh, Aristocats, sorry. The 10th anniversary of Aristocats. <laughs> Super racist. Uh, <laughs> the last one that came out, uh, this, this is the 19th of December, is 9 to 5, the Jane Fonda movie with Willie Tomlin and oh, Dolly Parton. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've seen that movie. There you go. That's the heavy hitter. <laughs> That's taking us all the way through the last two weeks of the year, apparently. Yeah. Oh, any which way you can is the week before that. Now that's probably a terrible uh, time. Yuck. <laughs> Popeye. Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks back is where you want to go. We got. What about your fucking nightmare movies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. We got fucking Popeye. We got fucking orangutan movie. We got whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> Flash Gordon, I see, was out there. Jeez, nightmare movies, man. Super- Superman two open wide in Australia this week. Yeah, I think you know it was the '70s turning into the '80s. Like people, like Hollywood, didn't know what it wanted to be at yeah, that point. You're right. I mean, so you, you you had this sharing, you know, a space in the multiplex with uh, any which way you can, and Flash Gordon. Like, who knew what was gonna stick? It's um, because it's, uh, there was a quote from someone I don't remember who um, on the Wikipedia page for Altered States that that totally called out um, Star Wars and I think The Exorcist as well, um, as being like the the competition that they were going for with with Altered States. Um, it's really interesting that they were like still like figuring out what that would be. Like everyone knew sci-fi was back. But they didn't know how yet. Yeah, I wonder if they thought that maybe it was possible for like cerebral sci-fi and more escapist sci-fi to exist alongside each other. Yeah, that that classic thought that always trips people up. Hey, you like Star Wars, but you're also a grown-up. You can like a grown-up thing, right? <laughs> The answer is always yeah. no. No, they can't. <laughs> Unless it's Batman saying, fuck you, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Um, so William Hurt is Edward Jessup, who is a uh, psychopathologist at Columbia University when this movie starts. Uh, although he gets transferred over to Harvard later. Um and he is studying schizophrenia, and the way that he's trying to do that is by putting students in a sensory deprivation tank. Uh, and and he's into that too, and his research partner, Bob Balaban, uh, bails him out of that tank at the very start of this movie. And this is the hairiest Bob Balaban has ever been. I almost didn't recognize him at first. Very uh, pleasant surprise to see him. It, it's confusing to me how that guy who shows up later, who also like helps with the experiments, also looks like Bob Balaban. <laughs> yeah, same. This look. was this was a look back then. It's like I just have all as much hair as I can grow, and big but also glasses. I'm, I'm starting to go but a little bald. But I don't care. It's a good look. 
Yeah. Was super sexy. Bob Balaban is like he earned that third <laughs> billing. He's in this movie quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. This is like one of the times I I feel like he's most in a movie, or at least like in a in a big movie. Yeah. Um, just because I'm going to forget about it later. Did you guys see the other two much bigger celebrities that are in this movie in incredibly small parts? I did see John Larroquette. Yeah. Also, uh, Drew Barrymore. Yep, you got it. Drew Barrymore. I think, I think the, maybe her first role as well. That is correct. In addition yeah. to William Hurt. William Hurt's daughter in this movie. Barely in it. Not really a consideration in the plot at all. You know, they say that uh, parenthood changes you, but that is not the case with old Eddie Jessup. He doesn't really give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, uh, like, like John had referenced earlier, uh, at a at a like cool uh, genius people who work at colleges party, <laughs> um, Eddie meets uh, Emily, uh, played by Blair Brown. Uh, who is also she's she's studying monkeys or something I didn't quite understand what her job was but I know she's a whiz kid because they make a, a, a point of that anyway they uh, are attracted to each other and uh, they have some sweaty sex and uh, and end up uh, <laughs> sort of getting married out of convenience um, it seems like Emily loves Eddie but Eddie uh just like trying to make things easier for him in this reality so he can focus more on uh, the other realities that he is trying to experience. Which is actually what leads him to uh, skip town and head on down to Mexico where uh, he meets with uh, the Hinchi tribe uh, who... uh, have some sort of uh, ritualistic uh, hallucination ceremony that he's able to uh, participate in and uh, that leads him on I th- think the m- the most intense um, <laughs> trip in the, in the movie uh, at least the one that's the hardest for me to understand what's going on because there's a lot of uh, Christian imagery wrapped up in this uh, trip that he goes on uh, as well as lizard imagery. Which I'm not sure if there's a related Don't or not. Don't forget the goat! Goat imagery. The, goats, the goat counts as Christian because that I know but that... But he has many eyes. The seven-eyed goat comes from uh, something in like Revelation. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit, dude. I gotta check that out. Some Dungeons and Dragons shit Dude, going on in there. Dude, if you like things with lots of eyes, you are going to love the Bible. Like <laughs> everything in the Bible has a lot of eyes. I don't know if this is in the Bible, but I once saw like some drawings of like this is like how angels are supposed to look yeah. according to old biblical texts, and, and it's they're just, just like these giant eye monsters. So, yeah, like, with like billion eyes, wheels that are like orbiting around them and like turning, and those are covered in eyes. And there's like a and lot I'm, of ways. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit, if this is what Angels in the Outfield was like, <laughs> this would be the fucking scariest movie ever made. Um, what, what, what I was learning about that, um, someone in, in one of the things I read or watched pointed out, like, 
a lot of times when angels appear to people in the Bible, they start by saying, be not afraid. <laughs> and maybe that's because they look so scary. <laughs> um, the, the weird thing uh, after this trip is that uh, when Eddie wakes up, he's killed one of the lizards. Uh, and it sounds like the tribe kind of like kicked him out for doing that. And he's kind of like being a bitch about it, you know? It's like, how was I supposed to know? How do they even know that I killed that lizard? It's like, come on, Eddie. You're you're being a bitch. It's like they, they've probably taken this shit like millions of times before. Yeah. I'm sure they're they a lot they're, more they lucid than he was when he was tripping balls. <laughs> yeah. You, you killed their pet, dude. Um... But the the bad news is they hook him up with um, the flower that they use. Uh, the, the I think it's just called like the primordial flower. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, Eddie comes back from uh, Mexico and he's got the flower and he's got the taste for uh, tripping on it. Um, so he decides to combine his two favorite hobbies, the sensory deprivation tank and the first flower. Um, and do some of that and then go sensory deprive himself. Um, and that shit is crazy because when he comes out of it, he's covered in chalk and blood and, um, when John Larroquette, uh, x-rays him, uh, he's like, oh, that's a gorilla. Um, which starts delving into a, a weird part of this. Um, Eddie's obsession is to go back into the, like, the, the evolutionary line that led to his existence. Uh, he seems to believe that um, like his cells are the same cells that all of his ancestors had and so he should be able to turn into them um so he like wants he wants to turn into a like proto-human monkey man for some reason i don't i don't get it do you guys sympathize with that desire uh no (laughs) bad idea i don't ever trust this guy guys guy's nuts i guess it's just a thing where he's just fascinated by pushing the limits of science and what he can do to his mind and his body it's it's about exploration i guess but yes it's not something i would want to do to myself well i feel like he says though that like um he had never felt so like free or liberated or something Mm -hmm. like he didn't have to worry about his life anymore he just got to worry about like eating bananas yeah but he's dangerous well he he is dangerous we find that out when he uh, when he does this a second time and uh, is accidentally left unattended for a little bit and is able to uh, fully devolve uh, into a, a feral ape creature uh, and he runs out and escapes onto the 
the streets of, I guess, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, I forgot Harvard. Uh, and he goes on a rampage, killing security guards and fucking shit up and, uh, in, in alleys and fighting dogs and going to the zoo. Um, this was all performed by, a, uh, uh, I think, a dancer that was uh, you know, hired on to be the, the stunt double for this part. Did you guys like the, uh, the Monkey Man sequence? Even though you oh, didn't absolutely. want to live it? Absolutely. It's super well yeah. shot. Like, there's a great shot of him just, like, standing in front of the moon, you know, looking over all those deer. It's just, it looks incredible. This is the same dude that shot uh, Blade Runner, right? Like, this movie looks so good. It almost looks too good for what it is. Like, I can imagine a way, <laughs> like, cheaper, trashier version of this movie. Well, that's kind of the thing about it, though, is that, it, like, it has, it's very visually striking, it also has a pretty literate script, but it is also uh, kind of a creature feature as well. Like about a guy turning into a monkey man. It's kind of this this fun mix of like highbrow and lowbrow. I'd say also a great score. Um, yeah, the composer here is John uh, Corigliano, uh, who is like when you look him up, it's not like he's a film score guy. He's a classical composer um mm-hmm. so i don't even i don't even know what other films he, he's worked on well he's oscar nominated for this if i recall i think he won an oscar for the red violin in the 90s uh, which is like a drama um but yeah dude super professional quick question could the monkey man take on the orangutan from the Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> I think he could. Yeah. That orangutan's not that impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like orangutan probably stronger than this monkey man, though. Well, he probably should be, but he spends a lot of time eating fried food and sitting in a truck. <laughs> you t- Clint Eastwood doesn't take care of that thing very well. I mean, it just seems like Clint Eastwood is the more aggressive one of the two. Yeah. He- he's the one getting into fights. The monkey man just chills. Not not even a monkey man, just a mere monkey. Okay, then would it be better if the monkey man was in the movie with Clint Eastwood? I I don't know. I feel like they'd butt heads, Clint Eastwood and the monkey (laughs) man. (laughs) It's the same problem with the making of this movie. Two alphas. You can't have them together. (laughs) No. Yeah. You gotta have one chill guy. Rip off Clint Eastwood's face in the opening of the movie and then just be running around (laughs) for 90 minutes. He loves to run. I love it. It's cool because like we keep saying Monkey Man, but it's it's kind of interesting. He's like some sort of weird middle, like almost missing link kind of thing, which isn't something you get to see in movies very much. Except for uh, Trog. <laughs> Great film. I once oh, reviewed. Oh yeah, the Trog. <laughs> good, maybe good double feature. Yeah, sure. I think there's a more obvious double feature here, though. A, a very obvious parallel film that I'm, I was thinking of often. I wonder if you guys are thinking of the same movie. Mm. 
Well, I already nothing, said nothing what, what movies I was thinking. Oh uh, no! Well, I know because you mentioned it to us earlier off, Mike. You said it was kind of like the I? fly. Yeah. Yes, the fly. It reminds me of the, the fly. Balls. Um, it is weird to me though that unlike in the fly, um, Eddie can like change back to his normal self, whereas in the fly, it's just him quickly deteriorating into becoming more and more fly-like and there's like no turning back which feels more accurate if if you're transforming your body but i I think that's the direction they try to go in at the um at the very end of this movie before he uh take on me's out of it (laughs) oh yeah this is a, a, a an inspiration for that video, apparently. I couldn't decide not to jump to the ending, but I couldn't decide if I liked that ending. I I, I was so expecting this movie to have a downer ending. Because Jessup's kind of arrogant. I mean, he's very arrogant and kind of ex- very eccentric. The thing that stood out to me, John, was that it felt like the movie ended three times. <laughs> um, the first time is, is this part that we're talking about here where um, after going on an eight man rampage he eventually falls asleep in the zoo and wakes up as himself again um, and then the second time is after that he goes back into the isolation chamber uh, under the watchful eye of uh, Emily and and uh, Bob Alvin and third researcher um, and this time, instead of turning into an ape man, he turns into like a vortex within the isolation chamber. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's like blowing up the lab and stuff um, and uh, knocking people out. And eventually, Emily's able to like fight her way into the room and pull him out of it. Um, and so it feels like that should be the, the end of the movie. There's a, like a crazy, you know maelstrom of energy in the in the isolation chamber which gets blown up i mean that's the movie starts with the isolation chamber it seems like it's got to end with that that thing blowing up um but then it keeps going and we uh we see eddie gets to be brought home and looked after by emily um and he just starts transforming again and the and that's the it's the weirdest one because it's the one where people just get animated over um, and, and, and like I said he bangs himself on the on the walls of his home very much like the ending of the music video to aha's take on me was able to fight his way back into uh, into reality and that's what he confesses his love to Emily and they embrace as, as if they have a happy marriage which they haven't in in years i don't think so like that that ending on its own i don't think is particularly satisfying because he's a bad dude that doesn't actually love her but we already got like two pretty satisfying horror movie endings before that so i was i was okay with it i once came into this movie as a kid um it was on tv is during the scene where he's banging on the wall turning into the weird like meatball monster man yeah i remember asking my dad i'm like what's this about and he's like 
Uh, let's see. <laughs> so, like, he turns into these, uh, it's just, like, such a hard movie to explain to a kid. He's trying to tap into other forms of consciousness in his past, and it's like, oh, okay. That's why he's turning into this one-armed meatball man. I will say it was nice knowing very little about this movie going into it. Like, I basically knew nothing. Because it's not like a movie people talk about that much. As far as, uh, I don't know, classic horror movies go. Like, I didn't even know it would turn into a body horror movie. Uh, let alone a movie with a with a crazy ape man. So... That's just like always fun to watch a movie that just goes off the rails and not really know that it's gonna gonna play out that way. Yeah, that's always a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would have liked it more if I was into this sort of um, you know pseudoscience philosophy stuff um, that I know a lot of people go really wild for. Um, but it does it does make me think this sort of character I feel like exists in a lot of movies this type of like obsessed scientist who totally knows his science but there's also one totally like batshit insane thing that he also believes <laughs> and he uses all of his actual knowledge to like focus on that one crazy thing do you think there are people like that in the world or is that just a movie oh I think there's people like that they like learn everything about a subject and they're like, I know everything about this, but also uh, I have a crazy belief yeah, about it. Sure. I'm sure there is. I can't think of any examples, but there's lots of ex- eccentric geniuses out there that I just can't think of any examples, but I, I, there must be. It's a fun combination though. They make a lot of good movies. Okay. Could the monkey man take the fly? You think? Ooh, no, the fly would just spit acid on him. Oh yeah, he totally he melted part of that one guy. Um, I think Monkey Man could take the fly and the fly. No, I don't know if he could take Fly Two. <laughs> fly Two can uh, can fly as wings. Well, Fly One could stick to walls. It's true. I just I keep thinking about the acid vomit. That's a good move. A really good move. Work for Alien. Work for Fly. Nobody who has it's like I wish I didn't have this. It's true. Um, they have a lot of similarities in these two films. Both have like the female lead meeting the uh, the eccentric scientist at a party. I mean, it seems like that's just the formula for this type of body horror movie. Couldn't you say the same thing about the Nutty Professor? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, damn the Nutty Professor. There's a fun. I want to see a, a double feature of the Fly and the Nutty Professor. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. I hope the leg. One of the legacies of this podcast is that people uh, treat the Nutty Professor as one of the all-time great body horror movies. <laughs> It doesn't have that reputation, and it should. I guess I liked how yeah we got in the body horror when we reviewed it, but also the fact that Sherman 
uh, is basically sent to the sunken place whenever he's not in control of the body. <laughs> Which is a fun concept. Um, I feel like body horror is a genre that doesn't happen as much anymore. At least this kind of transformation movie because of I feel like because of CGI, the you know you're not going to put in the time and effort into doing crafting these kinds of practical effects in this transformation. Um, and that's a fucking downer. That's why it's such a treat to watch one of these '80s movies where they're just like, yeah, we're just going to do something fucking insane with prosthetics. <laughs> I don't. I would. Lo- I'll try to look up the guy who did the makeup to this, but he didn't really do a lot of movies. He must. Uh, he, I can't remember what what else he did. Um. It's fun. just a lot of like seasoned professionals that like came together to like let's do this weird fucking thing like <laughs> you know like you mentioned how like the the composer it's like this wasn't really something that was in his wheelhouse it's like yeah sure I'll score this movie where William Hurt turns into a fucking monkey man and also seven eyed goat and also seven eyed goat Jesus seven eyed goat Jesus. Mm. It's just it's it's really fun to see a bunch of pros make like yeah like a B movie essentially. Yeah. Because uh, you can you can make something that sounds really silly on paper into something that's uh, really interesting and really fun to watch. I was afraid I would be bored of this movie because I'm like oh man but like I hate stuff where it's like bunch of trippy shit that doesn't make sense but like this movie's all about making sense of that trippy shit like it all serves a purpose it's all interwoven into the narrative like all this these hallucinations so it's totally justified it's not just random shit so they don't go like too overboard with the trippy no. shit they, they just give you enough of it to be like ah that was pretty sweet <laughs> yeah definitely would you say that that is like in Ken Russell's wheelhouse to to do it like that? Because I haven't even seen Tommy. This is my—I think this is the only one of his movies I've seen. Um, I mean, it's it's hard for me to say as well because Tommy is the only movie of his I've seen. I feel like he has movies that are more well regarded. I've always thought of watching a Women in Love for Criterion Month, but um, yeah, that, that's the big one. That's his um, Oscar nomination. Is that? Um, it, yeah. actually, it actually won an Oscar too, Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tommy's like, uh, that's a yeah, it's a wild movie. <laughs> it's it's probably it's it's more closer to what John was talking about, where it's just like nothing but trippiness. But it's not it's not really trippy. It's just incredibly bombastic and over the top. Mm. And that that comes from the album, though. I mean, they're they're like, we're gonna write an album about a deaf bottom, deaf mute blind. Is that right? Is that all he is? Deaf dumb and blind. Deaf dumb and blind. Yes. Boy, who's also really good at pinball, and that makes him like a cult leader. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a weird story to make into. <laughs> it probably shouldn't really work apart from being a, a rock album. But, you know, they tried it. Uh, 
feel like I read that Ken Russell didn't even really like rock music very much. I mean, you can kind of tell because a bunch of his other movies are about like classical composers. But he's just like, why not? <laughs> um, I think the most interesting thing we I forgot to mention it earlier uh, about Ken Russell is that despite um, you know seeming to have a bad relationship with Pachayevsky, um and so happy to sort of like fight through making this whole movie, he he came out of it saying he liked making movies in America. He's like, I was really worried that people are just going to talk about money the whole time, but I had, I had a lot of fun. Hmm. Yeah, big surprise there. I'm gonna take it that Patty Chieski did not like the movie if he if he even saw it though didn't he die pretty soon after it? That's right, yeah, I think so. Was cancer, yeah. So that's kind of unfortunate that he didn't like it. Uh, probably and went out on that note, but he should have liked it. It's good. It, it's got his whole script, and he put the book out first. Like there, there's a whole book you can just read. I can't even imagine what like how you just like describe like some of this, these hallucination scenes in a book. It's, uh... How do you describe them in a screenplay? <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. I bet, I bet that's something they butted heads over. It's like, how the fuck am I supposed to film this? <laughs> you say sure his that naked wife appears and turns to stone and erodes away in the wind. Looking at Pajaski's Wikipedia page, young Pajaski kind of looks like George C. Scott. I can see why he would like him. <laughs> He's another pissed off guy. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like me. He's got the same rage in his eyes that I have. <laughs> Do you guys remember when they parodied this on South Park? I don't. Tell me about it. No. Oh, it's. I feel like there's just some, like, episode where Cartman's I want to say he's struggling with the like maybe I should be like a good person or something he's having some sort of identity crisis and then there's just a scene where he like walks out in the hallway he throws up like black stuff and he starts banging on the walls and for a couple shots he turns into the weird like amorphous like I I was calling him the meatball man Mm -hmm. but it's like it's only for this one scene in the episode I can show you the clip later and it's like that's such a weird like reference to like uh, to, to to show Car- uh, Carmen like like struggling with who he is and I'm like turning into the monster from from altered states. It's very funny. Yeah, I'll show you that guy. You guys that clip later. It's pretty wild. So like the you know the legacy of this movie exists for I think at least for some people for film fans. Um, yeah, it's 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 been sampled by a few bands. Uh, Bring Me the Horizon has a sample, and so does Ministry. But why, what is it about it that you think has left it as kind of forgotten? Like, what is it about this movie that, like, how come when people are talking about the top, like, 50 sci-fi movies of all time, it's not, like, it's not in there, you know? What, what, what is it about this movie? I mean, that's an is, interesting question. I is think... it too hard to explain what it's about? <laughs> is it too hard sci-fi? It's not that... Com- I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense, but they, I feel like they explain it in a way that's like, this guy's like, hey, you know, like when you close your eyes and go to sleep and think of like other states of consciousness, 
yeah, I think those are as real as when I'm awake, and I'm just trying to tap into those. It's not that complicated. The fact that he turns into monsters and shit is, but... I think the thing is, the, the people that would take that seriously and not treat it as kind of goofy like we do... Yeah. Um, are, like, way more into this very specific um, philosophy... Um, which which makes this a little bit less accessible than other like super trippy sci-fi movies i'm thinking like pie maybe sure something in that vein you know now i'm wondering uh, maybe it was incorrect for me to call it hard sci-fi maybe i should have called it hard pseudo sci-fi yeah (laughs) because it's such fringe science Mm-hmm. It's like, come on! Like, it, it's it's not even like it involves taking drugs, and then putting yourself in a self-deprivation tank. It's insane. I mean, I guess also like it's like sort of a horror movie at the end, but not all the way through. And it, it's kind of hard to like sell like what kind of movie it is. I mean, I guess you can just say it's a sci-fi movie, but and I'll say it again: the, the greatest knock against it, it's a movie for grown-ups. Which no it's a movie thanks. for grown-ups. Society's yeah. not ready for grown-up movies. There's definitely some other like pretty serious like '70s sci-fi movies that people don't talk about. I mean, this is '80s, but you know, it's kind of on the the line there. I think about like, I mean, this is probably a bad example because I think people do still talk about the Andromeda Strain, but I feel like it's not like people our age talk about the Andromeda Strain. I, th- I feel like people only talk about it because COVID made it relevant again, too. Or that first Michael Crichton book that became a movie, like The Terminal Man, or yeah, um, just weird heady shit like that. But I, th- yeah. I just, I guess, I just thought that this one could have a, a bigger legacy just because of the fact that it has such spectacular effects. Like Colin, you didn't even you didn't even know those effects were coming, right? Definitely did not. <laughs> <laughs> did not think he would have a vision. Well. Yeah, of the, the the eye goat man when he is just like a pile of goo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when yeah. he turns into a vortex of water. All all insane stuff. The one image I keep thinking about is there's one shot when he's tripping of just like a like band of people in like a volcano who are like being sacrificed yeah. it's like what did they shoot just oh this for this movie or is this from like some other star <laughs> footage or something like what is happening here yeah i don't know i don't know how to keep up with that maybe it was in the script maybe <laughs> There's a weird mushroom tree around that part, too, that I don't get. Dude, this would be an awesome movie to project on walls at, like, an art gallery while you're hanging out, having cocktails. I guess, but then, like, half of it is also just, like, William Hurt and Bob Bailaman, like, in a lab, just talking to each other. Oh, you're just projecting the tripping ball scenes. Yeah, you could just do that. You could just make, like, a, you know, like a mix... This isn't the right word, but like a mixtape of like <laughs> trippy scenes in movies. You know, this in 2001, obviously. Throw in uh, Jimmy Stewart's Nightmare from Vertigo. Yeah. 
But I'll tell you the real reason this movie doesn't have a legacy, and it's because we're going to Sean's goofs. Uh-oh. I gotta tell you guys. Fuck. It's, it's gonna ruin the whole movie for you. You're gonna uh, hate okay. this. Okay. So, uh, Emily is shown being very pale in early scenes. Right? Emily, yeah. his wife. True. Um, and that makes sense, because all of her scenes take place either in New York or Boston. However, when she returns to Eddie at the end of the movie, her skin tone is exactly the same as it was in the first half of the movie. Although she was supposed to have been in Africa for several months studying wild primates. But it, nowhere is she seen to have a tan or sunburns or anything. Uh, shit. Okay, well, s- sunscreen? That, that's not a thing? <laughs> You no. still get tan though when you put on sunscreen. <laughs> it's uh, like, were these people even paying attention? Maybe she just wore like a hazmat suit the entire time. <laughs> 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 yeah, the wild primates love hazmat suits. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, they fucked up. I really hope somebody got fired over that. Uh, I retract my goof. um i wish i had some sort of other bonus segment i try to think of like oh could i think of like some body horror like trivia and i'm like no i can't i can't think of anything (laughs) (laughs) it's it's actually a lot smaller subgenre at least in terms of like quality films i'm sure there's lots of garbage horror movies but as for ones that are like you know, well crafted, and that tap into the the human psyche like this. I mean, it's like this and the fly, and I'm I'm sure a few others. But yeah, dude, again, that'd be a kick ass little feature. I would love. While I was watching this, I was like, God, I wish I was watching this in a theater. This would be a great one to see on the big screen. Uh, mm-hmm. If anyone cares enough to project it, I, I don't know. <laughs> I would hope so. I mean, uh, especially now that William Hurt's passed, uh, I feel like this would be a great one to show dude had a hell of an 80s i mean it is a great like calling card for him yeah just because it's such an intense committed performance and he's great at it so it's not surprising that he got cast in in other movies by big directors you know who probably saw him in this and were just like wow who is this guy he wasn't the first choice though I did look up mm-hmm. to see who the first choice was, and he's another the pick favorite, Scott Glenn. Really? Scott Glenn. <laughs> I I like Scott Glenn. I feel like we were fascinated by his wrinkles, <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't think he's uh, creepy enough. William Hurt is like, I just feel like if I'm in a, w- a room with William Hurt, like I- I'm I'm gonna be uncomfortable. He's gonna yell at me. Something. He's just like even intense. <laughs> guy yeah, I, know he wasn't, I know he wasn't the best guy either but like i think at least think in a movie like this like that really helps that performance that he's so creepy i just reject the notion that you're in a room with scott glenn staring needles at you and you're like i'm perfectly comfortable i just yeah. don't think scott glenn's as intimidating i find him pretty intimidating yeah he's intense he's a little intimidating i feel like he He's close to being in our Three Timers Club. Also, w- welcome William Hurt to Three Timers Club. All Sean picks uh, with oh, this and, uh, and Body Heat and Changing Lanes. 
Um, Scott Glenn is close, though. I think he's training day and, and hunt for Red October. So any day now. Uh, but no, I think they went the right choice, even though they went with an unknown. It was a good, it's a good call. If you saw that, did you see the crazy list of directors they approached um, before Ken Russell? I would love to hear who they approached. <laughs> so the first, the, they actually had um, Arthur Penn hired on to to direct originally. He had uh, even he was the one who cast um, William Hurt. He well, he'd never done anything this weird, right? Yeah, it's a weird choice. Arthur, um, do you little big man? He did do little big man. So I guess I've that at least has weird makeup in it. I've been watching clips from that movie on YouTube lately, <laughs> and I'm not sure it held it held up as well as I. <laughs> well, you got Dustin Hoffman playing a Native American. Well, is he in that movie? Is he like a white guy who's taken in by Native Americans? Yeah. Okay, so that part's not problematic as problematic there's probably some other parts that are but uh after arthur penn got fed up of trying to work with patty chayefsky they went through according to ken russell um 26 other directors before getting to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that list includes steven spielberg stanley kubrick no. sydney pollock robert wise and orson welles okay spielberg makes no sense Orson Welles makes no sense to me. <laughs> the others make sense, I think. Does any Pollock ever do anything that was like, uh, like genre film? Like, did he ever do anything like this? Uh, not, not that I can recall. Not not like a sci-fi or horror movie. You know. I, if Ed Kubrick done it, it would have been something completely different from whatever the the st- original story was. Who else God. did you say in there? <laughs> Robert Wise. Robert Wise would have made the boring version. <laughs> yeah. He probably would have made the version that uh, Patty Chesky preferred. Because I feel like he's just oh, like boy. I'm, just doing the job. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Ken Russell was Long, slow shots of the monkey slowly climbing Ken out. Ken Russell had only made time. weird stuff up to this point. Um, I, I didn't mention, I had I have seen one other Ken Russell movie, The Devils, which is a movie where, like, uh, was it Albert Finney? They're like, you're a fucking warlock and we're going to put you on trial. It's, like, super sexual and violent. Uh, so yeah, he was. I think he's perfect uh, to add like his weird, over the top sensibility to this more restrained story. You guys, I think he could really bring out the weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not. It's a. Uh, it's Oliver Reed in the Devil. Oliver Reed. That's it. Yeah, same same energy, right? Totally. <laughs> Both guys who like seem like. They could be drunk and be like, I'm good, though. <laughs> I can still do a scene. I can still do a scene. I want to be this way. <laughs> you want to know a really fun Albert Finney genre picture is Wolfen, where Albert Finney plays like a New York cop trying to catch like a werewolf. And he's just like the sloppiest person in existence in this movie. He's just like, he's fucking like eating potato chips in every scene. He's got stains all over his sweater. This is like 1981. Great movie. Sounds great. Dude. It's the same director of Woodstock as 
It's like his only narrative movie. What? I know, right? Uh, I watched that like last year and had a blast with it. Because 1981 was like the big werewolf year because he had American Werewolf in London, The Howling, and Wolfen all come out in the same year. And they're all pretty cool. Yeah. And this is, I mean, and this is right right before that because it's Christmas 1980. Yeah. This, and this is like kind of a werewolf movie in those eight-man scenes. Because yeah. he's, got, he's got the moon... The fact that he like woke up in the zoo, like that same scene happens in American Wolf in London. Yeah. I smell a letterbox list with with only two films on it, but I love how oddly specific they are. <laughs> Movies guy where guys turns into a <laughs> turns into a beast man and wakes up in a zoo. <laughs> naked. Wakes up naked in the zoo. Yeah. Well, I think that does it for Altered States. Um, but before we go, we need to know where we're going next. I I think it's me. That yeah. sounds right. Okay, so here's the thing. I was going to pick Moulin Rouge, but then I saw Colin watched it, and I'm like, if Colin watches it, then I don't ha- then, then my pick has no power anymore. I mean, but here's the thing. I'm ready to review. To yeah, talk but about but it. the thing is, like, if I, God, if I pick something else, you have to watch that, and that's the power of sure. the pick. That's the power, that of, the the power of the pick. <laughs> it's like, well, shit, it's I couldn't even get ahead of this one. The the because the so pick fucking weird took me in another direction. God, just because like we talked because we did like an Oscars thing on our. Um, on our blog, we wrote some Oscar uh, reviews of like older Oscar-nominated movies, mm-hmm. and I, I like I think we both wanted to do Moulin Rouge. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll just do it as a pick, um, yeah. and then I saw you watch it, and that, nothing's stopping me from from picking it, anyways. But no. I kind of feel like going another direction. Hey, look, I I I knew you wanted to pick it, but. <laughs> Nita wanted to watch it, and That's I was fine. like, "You know, you know, John might pick it soon, so maybe we shouldn't watch this movie." And she was just like, "I'm not letting John's pick stop me from watching Moulin." <laughs> She's challenging the power of your pick, John. Are you gonna take that? So, so we watched it, and I was like, "All right, John's All right. not gonna be happy." <laughs> so, uh, so I'm gonna use my power of the pick, the full power. Um, I think I think we're gonna have fun with this. So I, I noticed this movie's on Netflix, uh, and it's twenty uh, fifth anniversary this year. So you know I like to be on theme. So nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven, and that movie is The Devil's Advocate. Ah. Al Pacino, which will welcome him into the Three Timers Club, along with his other classic films, The Irishman and Dick Tracy. <laughs> I think only our second Keanu. Have we only done two Keanus? Mm-hmm. This and Bram Stoker's right. Dracula. But our second mm-hmm. Keanu doing a bad accent movie. I believe he's doing a southern accent in this movie. <laughs> oh, which I've heard is not good. <laughs> and you're already working on your Pacino. <laughs> not good. Not good. <laughs> uh, so, is 1997 the new 1999? Because we just did oh. Batman and Robin. Shit, dude. 
What else? Titanic? Fuck. Is, I, I, I think we should make a case for 97 challenging. Men in Black? <laughs> well, but now that's ruined. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just ruined? Here, I'm going to Google 1997 in film real quick. Just to get kind of an idea. You know, uh, well, we got, obviously we got G.I. Jane. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I did think about picking G.I. Jane. We just believe it. Took us I've, this long to reference the slap. I've, I've seen G.I.J. Oh, nice. Yeah, dude, Vigo Mortensen's in there. That's that's why I saw it, because it was... Yeah. I was riding that Lord of the Rings high. I was like, I should see some other Vigo Mortensen stuff. <laughs> and it was on, like, TBS or something. 97, you got Con Air, you got Batman and Robin, Fifth Element, Anastasia, Goodwill Hunting, Titanic, Gattaca, The Game, Austin Powers, Selena, The Edge... Donnie Brasco, oof, another Al Pacino. Jungle to jungle. Contact. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm, start, I'm starting to worry this isn't as good as 1999. <laughs> Face Off, Event Horizon. Wag the Dog, yeah. Rainmaker. A lot of movies, though, that, um, you know, Jackie Brown, great one. Uh, Spawn the Peacemaker, Devil's Advocate, yeah. Flubber. So I like a lot of 1999 movies are kind of like timeless classics, but a lot of 1997 movies are like this is the 90s. <laughs> this is the 90s, dude. George of the Jungle, Power Rangers Turbo, Mouse Hunt, the, the second Power Rangers movie that I think might have been direct of it. <laughs> wow, it's on this list of the popular movies of 1997. It's like in the top 20. Dante's Peak. Um. Power Rangers Turbo broke me because one of the Power Rangers is a little kid and he transforms and he becomes a big adult Power yeah. Ranger. And I don't like that. For some reason when you said that, I just imagined some sort of like opinion piece on like some sort of pop culture site that's that's called How Power Rangers Turbo Broke Me. <laughs> I would like to read that piece. Maybe that should be picked someday. I would like to see what happened. Because I remember that's up the point where Sean and I um, as children, gave up on Power Rangers. We're like, fuck Power Rangers. I mean, I guess you saw the movie, but still, we were both like, fuck this. Do you think kids still do that now? Do kids, like, like get to a point where like, I don't like the kid stuff anymore. I like the grown-up stuff. Or do they just like the same things their whole lives? Because <laughs> now they're just being fed Marvel movies and whatever else is popular. Minecraft. I, I do think kids these days... Ah, what a fuck of RG Bunker kids these days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think kids these days do hit a point where um, you, you kind of fall out of favor with something just because you think you're too cool for it, and then you probably come back to it a little later. Um, just like kind of me in high school with like video games where like I wasn't playing them as much, and I was more focused on like music. But as an adult, I'm, I'd say I'm back more into games than I was, you know, when I was a teenager. So you just got to take a little hiatus. I think so. I think kids these days, like, they probably, like, they grow up with Pokemon and they're like, fuck, that's so stupid. And then they come back to it later. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds like kids. Yeah. Kids are fucking dumb. Sorry, kids. Another great Archie Bunker quote. I probably. <laughs> Ooh, you think they'll ever reboot All in the Family? Oh, Mel Gibson. 
Like a serious version, Jesus like Belair. Did you guys see Mel Gibson's uh, interview where they asked him about the slap? No. Well, it, I, no. Well, the reason you didn't is because like they ask him, and then you could hear like Mel Gibson's like PR person be like, "Okay, we gotta go." <laughs> <laughs> like, See ya. They're just like they're not even gonna touch it. They was like, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." <laughs> Don't say anything, Mel. We're done. Okay, who would be yeah. the not? Who would he actually cast as Archie Bunker in a new one? Not obviously. Oh, Louis C.K. Obviously. Oh fuck, Grammy. Yeah, Grammy winner Louis C.K. It's hard to think of somebody who could play that part that isn't actually problematic in some way. <laughs> uh, what about like Bill Burr? Yeah. He's kind of already doing that, that on F is for Family. That's sure. like almost a cartoon version of all the family. Basically the same title. Yeah. So it's been done. We're good. We're good on yeah. that. He cracked yeah. it. Uh, if you want to find more of our um, brilliant insights, may I recommend you head over to mildlyfleas.com where you will find um, our our written musings. Uh, for example, that, that Oscars uh, Fortnite that we talked about earlier. You can, you can read all our Oscar reviews. Um, and all sorts of stuff there. Smileyplease.com uh, We also have more podcasts from the past that you can seek out and find. Uh, if you use those, those two magic words, Please, and search in any podcast thing, you'll find us. We're there. All of them. All of them in one convenient feed. Don't put them out frequently enough to justify different things. And with that <laughs> sigh of relief. <laughs> we... <laughs> uh, that was a burp. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we can put this uh, altered state to bed, uh, head back into our uh, sensory deprivation tanks, and wait patiently until speak to you next time. I'm okay.